Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters, with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. This is uh, this is the uh, February 28th version of uh, Chat with the Designers. Uh, I'm Joe into CX. I'll be uh, hosting this evening, and uh, the co-host is George into APV. Uh, this evening's topic is anatomy of a pickaxe SWR meter. Um, subtitle: How to control things with a simple, inexpensive, basic controller. Um, uh, we'll be discussing that in some detail. The topic for tonight is the anatomy of a pickaxe SWR meter, how to control things with a simple, inexpensive, basic controller. Uh, George is going to be uh, giving us uh, the rundown on this. It's a project he and I collaborated on, just kind of a fun thing back uh, a year or so ago. And uh, it was a uh, NJQRP kit. We made it available to club members. Uh, who, who attended a meeting. That's a kind of a fun thing. And if there's time, we have a um, another little extra at the end. Um, last week's session was uh, uh, using spice, and we suggested that uh, for practice, anyone who's interested should download a, uh, a spice simulator and uh, look at some of the filters we discussed, low-pass filters and some earlier... Uh, Earlier sessions. Again, that's if we have time. Um, George, why don't uh, why don't you take it away and uh, get rolling with the topic for the evening? Okay, Joe. Thanks very much. Nice intro. Welcome again, uh, everybody. And tonight's session is going to be about, as the title says, anatomy of a pickaxe SWR meter. In other words, how to control things with a simple, inexpensive, basic microcontroller. Over the uh, over the years, actually, we've had a number of requests for how to program microcontrollers, how to use them. Invariably, it gets down into the nitty-gritty detail and things that probably most people who don't program microcontrollers regularly get bored about real easily. However, what we wanted to present tonight was an overview of uh, some of the basic principles. And uh, <clears throat> if you've not programmed microcontrollers before, that's this session here is really ideally suited for you. If you have programmed microcontrollers for one project or another, um, this can be also suitable for you because maybe you can get some good ideas, such as I did, in doing a little bit of just basic research for today. There are, uh, oh, and maybe just a third category. If you've, uh, undoubtedly, everybody on here has put together a kit, one kit or another, that has had a microcontroller in it. You might not have even realized it was a microcontroller, but um, a pre-programmed device that is able to take inputs and of some sort, um, whether it's from the user or from other chips and compute values or um, display status of a project um, or display information to an LCD is probably darn well run by a microcontroller. And again, if it comes pre-programmed in a kit, you really don't know too much, need to know too much about it. Um, sometimes you have to debug the things that we build. 
mine do not always work the first time. So unless you're uh, unless you're an ace and not have any problems, you will have uh, probably tried to probe around a little bit with a DVM or an oscilloscope, or somehow get some symptoms over to the designer on one of the support groups and say what's what's wrong. And invariably, the designer is going to come back and he's going to ask you, oh, okay. Give me some more symptoms, measure this, measure that, see if you have a reference oscillator going in, see if the inputs wiggle, make sure your 9 volts is going correctly to the main controller, U1, whatever it may be. And then you've been probing around in that, and hopefully you've been able to get it working. Um, and of course, without even programming it. And maybe a fourth category is uh, some of the intrepid uh, homebrewers that we are, we like to take the start of a project. Maybe you've built it already and now you want to modify it. And if you've been following at all Joe and my exploits over the years, this is a trademark of, of our projects. Um, we do not copyright or hide or, or, or well, we'll copyright them, but we do not um, hide them from public view any of our designs. Everything, all the source code is all out in the, uh, in the free and we encourage people to take the, uh, the code, modify it to suit their liking, add new features, make it better, share back with the community what those changes are, and therefore we all kind of benefit. So what we're going to talk about tonight is, is probably going to touch on each of those four categories, at least I hope to, and I hope to take some <clears throat> questions that you have along the way and uh, if I say some words that are not familiar to you, please, please, by all means, pipe up, uh, chime in, uh, type on the text area that Joe mentioned at the bottom of the screen under the QRP homebrewing tab. Catch my attention and, uh, you know, we'll answer those questions. We won't go more than an hour. At 9 o'clock local time here, we're going to uh, pull the plug so as to not overtax anybody, at least of all my voice and Joe's voice, because Joe's going to help out here too. We have a a fun session. This is going to be a good one because of several reasons. And in just a moment, I'll go start into kind of an overview of microcontrollers and the different kinds that we have and maybe what differentiates one from another and things of that nature, of a general nature. Um, then we're going to get into some real practical stuff. As Joe indicated, we're not, it's not our intention with these sessions here on Chat with the Designers to you know, provide the nth level of detail for how to do one thing or another, but to give you a good grounding in some of the basics and the principles of operation, the vernacular or the technology speak that we're using, and uh, provide some good references that you can look at um, afterwards if you want to learn more. And we really encourage that. So we provide the web page that uh, I posted on the on the website or on on the text area of the this uh, forums window um, the website that contains all of our notes for tonight and you'll see charts and schematics and actual source code and at the very bottom you'll find a whole bunch of good references and I'll get to those in a minute but as with our other TeamSpeak sessions in previous weeks um, you'll be able to use this as a reference for going forward and maybe a, a good grounding and if there's enough interest, we can come back to topics and add to that with uh, your results and your exploits and, and let you get a chance to kind of share things uh, uh, with us too. So the third part of the, uh, of the presentation, as I said, is kind of a, a real treat because 
in addition to talking about general stuff, I find and Joe finds that it really becomes clearer and more tangible if you can actually talk about a given circuit, a specific circuit. Um, you can talk till the cows come home about input and analog voltage and determining if it's within the range of, of uh, 1.5 and 2 volts and then output an LED. And talking in general terms is nice, but nothing brings it home like a real live circuit. And that's what we brought here for everybody today. Uh, Joe mentioned uh, the SWR um, bridge. We call it the growler for reasons that you'll soon see. And uh, this circuit, again, is on that uh, our webpage, Chatting with the Designers, for uh, today, February 28. It's a simple circuit. It's really simple. And that's the essence of our message here today, is that with a few simple components, we can do something pretty darn cool. In this case here, it's doing something that each one of us almost lay odds that every one of us has got an SWR meter or an SWR bridge or some other way that's going to measure your antenna performance. Using the circuit that we provide, and we actually designed this, as Joe said, as a, as a local NJQRP kit. Those who attend the, uh, the, the local meetings of the New Jersey QRP Club each month or what used to be each month, and now it's a little bit less regular. But those who attend, we, we like to give a little bit of a treat, a little bit of a special attaboy for attending, and a little takeaway that they can actually use. And and it's, uh, uh, again, useful as a tangible instructional aid. So we designed this, uh, this circuit called the Growler, an SWR bridge, and hopefully by now you're looking at this on the schematic, or the schematic on the webpage. And uh, we supplied it, uh, uh, the circuit board and all of the components at cost. In other words, there was no, it's not a money-making effort. And frankly, there were only about 15 of them that were uh, uh, given away or, or sold at the uh, New Jersey club meeting. And um, I say, oh, Joe, I don't know. How many would you say probably were built? I, I think I might have heard about uh, eight or nine of them actually getting built and working, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it was about half. By the way... Uh... My audio sounds squarely. The um, headphones are not working properly with the computer. Um, sound is coming up with speakers, so uh, let me know and I'll try to rearrange things. Can't, can't get the headphones working this evening. All right, will do. Thought I'd mention that too, so I'm glad uh, glad you found the source. I think that might have been the wrestling with the anaconda that I mentioned last week that uh, it sounded like we were doing. But I'm glad you won that battle anyways. So, you know, roughly uh, half of those 15-ish um, growler kits were actually built, and they're in use. And I'm looking at mine here on my bench right now, and I was trying like crazy just to get it working, um, um, being able to demonstrate the growling sound and its nat the characteristics. Maybe while Joe is giving uh, his overview when it comes time, um, I'll be able to connect, find my uh, RF source and actually demonstrate how the growling works. It's really kind of, it's clever. It's Joe's design and uh, my implementation, and together we, we're having a ball with it. So my point in saying all of this, there is a reason, is that uh, people who are signed in right now or throughout this session tonight are going to have that same opportunity if you wish. So we're, we put in for another round. Actually, I'm going to take it to um, a wider kit status and we're going to produce this as a kit a widespread kit and sell as many of them as people wish to buy 
But those here in the session tonight um, will have the opportunity, if you wish, to buy it at cost. <clears throat> It'll be, you know, significantly less than whatever the kit is going to go for. It'll be the printed circuit board plus all the components you see there on the board. And again, this is our way of providing you folks with a little bit of an attaboy for coming here and supporting chat with the designers. We're having a good time. Hopefully you're finding it uh, to be a useful thing. But also as a, um, um, again, a more tangible operation, uh, a, a, a tangible demonstration of, of the principles that we're talking about. I'll have more details on this later as, as we get down, um, get down uh, the session tonight. George, uh, one quickie. Um, another thing that uh, this board could serve is with a pickaxe on there, it could also serve as a uh, kind of a homebrew development platform for uh, other pickaxe projects for those who want to experiment with the project. Because there's a program header on there, uh, there are some inputs available. You can uh, plug in other inputs than the ones from the SWR bridge. And uh, you can take outputs from the chip in place of the LEDs on there. So it could be a uh, general purpose uh, device as opposed, as opposed to just being the growler itself. Great point, Joe. And that actually reminds me. Um, Joe and I were um, talking about which, which platform to use. And we actually have two projects that use the pickaxe over the years. The, the one I mentioned, the growler, of course, was done last year at a club meeting. And oh, gosh. Uh, seven years ago, maybe, at an Atlanticon QRP conference that we used to put on together. Um, we put out a product called the Rookie. It might have been only about five years ago. I can't recall. But we put out a project called the Rookie. Um, I won't talk too much in detail about it, but I'll provide a link later on. Rookie was uh, a remote on-off keying uh, type of circuit that had a pickaxe and it also had a nice tone decoder, an NE or SA567 tone decoder that was able to distinguish uh, audio tones. And the tones were coupled over, the, the output of the 567 decoder were connected over to the microcontroller. And uh, with an RF radio link, you could uh, send tones over the RF radio, uh, or the FM radio is what I meant to say. Uh, the FM radio would receive the tones that you sent from a, an FM transmitter, and uh, it could decode the tones that uh, that were sent as in the form of on-off keying. And you could turn on and off up to four outputs using the chip that we decided to use then, uh, which was an 8-pin device, I think. And the device that we have here with the, with the growler is an 8-pin device. But anyways, the Rookie, which uh, we do have some, I do have some as a, as a number of kits, uh, or I, I do have a number of these kits that uh, you can get, and you can get to it from my website. But uh, either one would be a nice development platform. And the development platform was nice, as Joe was alluding to, because you can you have a single board, uh, a circuit board, that uh, into which the microcontroller plugs, and it typically has one or two or three different kinds of interface circuits on it already, and a voltage regulator usually, and an on-off switch, and maybe some kind of an indication, an LED or an output device that allows you to see your software in action. It's able, you're able to, and then you're able to program it, download uh, programs from your computer to it, and then it, uh, you can program it in a manner that uh, uh, 
uh, is nice to see working and debugging and, and so on. And then you can tear it apart and use it for something else later on, another experiment. So development boards are kind of cool. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into the overviews just really quickly. The uh, microcontrollers, as I said, have been around for ages and everybody's had one, has used one, and, and many of us have, have programmed it or designed a circuit with it. The most popular one around, I think, is, has got to be the PIC, the PIC uh, from Microchip. And there are a number of PICs around that many of us designers have used over the years. And uh, like, other, like most controllers, they provide input in the form of um, digital inputs and analog inputs which means that with the software in that chip, you're able to command that chip to input or read the value of a switch or of um, the state of another, uh, the, the binary state of uh, another chip that's connected to it, a high or a low, and or um, an analog signal. Like you might have an analog signal um, such as a wiper of a pot. Um, a potentiometer coming into it and by this the analog voltage that you're able to read that the microcontroller is able to read off of that analog wiper you can make decisions maybe it's a speed pot on a, um, a keyer control or an AF level pot um, that is in, with 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 which you're able to command the uh, um, the radios uh, digital subsystem to go higher in gain or lower in gain. So those uh, input and are those uh, digital and analog inputs are typically the the kind of inputs that you're dealing with. And uh, guess what? Typically on the output you're dealing with digital outputs or analog outputs. Um, a digital output is uh, often used to turn on an LED um, or um, a sequence of them in parallel to write data to an LCD display to give status for your project. Again, all of this is under control of your software in the microcontroller, and uh, it that uh, interfaces through various circuits, or level transist, uh, level shifting transistors, or other types of interface circuits to ultimately get to the display, or the LCD, the motor controller, whatever you're trying to control. Analog outputs analog outputs are uh, sometimes done in straight uh, digital to analog controllers uh, format. In other words, a, a DAC, digital to analog, just takes a digital input that the, com that the computer is trying to do, um, uh, a, digital, a digital value that the computer is trying to display or send out, and turns it to analog such that you have an analog voltage coming out of the microcontroller. Other times, as we'll, we'll see, um, a, um, an analog voltage can be simulated or formed by a pulse stream, a variable pulse stream that a controller is, uh, is outputting. And then with some external circuits, if you average or low-pass filter that analog pulse stream properly, um, you'd be able to turn that into um, a DC level. And that DC level would vary based on how fast or how slow the microcontroller is outputting that pulse stream. So those are just some details. You don't have to get worried about the um, implementation or some of the terminology now, but typically um, the microcontroller deals with inputs. It gives, uh, produces outputs, and in a nutshell, that's probably uh, just what it is.
um, U is the designer in between those two, uh, the input and the output. You are putting in the smarts, uh, the algorithm, as we say in software, to control and do something with the inputs and outputs. So um, there are many controllers that are around. The pick is the most common, as I mentioned. And over the years, there's uh, there have been um, a whole raft of them. Um, one that we used in the previous years is uh, faster than an all get out. It was called a Scenix, uh, the SCO1, I think was it was called. Um, for example, if you if you look up uh, PSK Beacon, the PSK Beacon, that is a project that used a Scenix chip, and I programmed that thing with an algorithm to decode the tones coming from um, a radio um, in the form of PSK. So we can take PSK output from a radio and decode it. Actually, to be honest, it was we were delivering tones to the radio, PSK tones. So we were taking uh, data, just standard text data, and converting that to the PSK um, analog format and then driving the analog input of a, of a K2, for example. Similarly, it could be done for receiving, but uh, receiving PSK31 is a, is a little bit more of a burden on the software, and I didn't want to be bothered with it at a time, and a beacon only transmits, so that's that's that. Uh, other other microcontrollers around are very popular are the uh, the Atmel, Atmel controllers, um, AVR, and these are uh, types of controllers that um, uh, Steve Weber, KD1JV, has popularized in many of his kits. And uh, if you've got the ATS, uh, ATS series of his kits, ATS-2, ATS-3A, 3B, um, and the ATS-4, I believe all of those indeed use the Atmel uh, device the Atmel microcontroller. Um, these are all kind of raw, down to, down to the uh, bare metal type of programming that we put in oftentimes in assembler language. Sometimes that there are, there are microcontrollers that, are, that accept a higher level language. And you might have heard of the um, Arduino. The Arduino is a very popular one. And the, uh, the Arduino is uh, uh, programmed in a um, sort of a C-like language, uh, the letter C. C language is a higher level language that um, allows you to write things in more of a textual, wordy fashion. But ultimately, it uh, takes a little bit more memory and what, what's called an onboard monitor or interpreter in order to, to handle that input. But it, frankly, it's a lot easier to program in C. And guess what? It's a lot easier to program in BASIC than anything else. Just as an aside, I have a couple of interns at work. I mean, these are kids from the inner city that, uh, high school kids, and mine is a, uh, a junior, I'm sorry, a sophomore. So he's a 10th grader. And I've, um, I grabbed a, um, something called, um, uh, the basic stamp. And I, I connected, I, I, with him, I connected up some servo motors and, and we put some software in there to move a little robot around on the table. And I'll tell you, that kid was just uh, beside himself with his uh, with what he was able to accomplish. And this was definitely not me doing it for him. I was guiding him very closely and getting him to think along the way. But he was able to take the basic instruction, the simple instructions that needed to be done, and put them into the basic language. 
And that's one of the beauties of BASIC. And actually, we're going to dwell down on that, uh, or drill down on that right uh, this evening. Is BASIC as old and as uh, um, archaic sometimes as people think it is, it's a wonderful language for beginners. It's a wonderful language for experienced programmers who want to quickly get up a simple project with inexpensive chips and ultimately get a project uh, going on the bench. So what we're talking about here mostly tonight, I'm, I'm sort of leading along pretty quickly, um, to something called a pickaxe. And uh, as some of you have noted, uh, hopefully on the webpage, we have a boatload of really good pickaxe uh, references and information that you might be able to use in either developing your own little circuit and function or hopefully and putting together the growler SWR meter and actually follow what we're doing. The the code, the smarts of the growler, I didn't is contained in a very small amount of uh, lines of code in the basic uh, program. If you scroll down all the way toward the end, you'll see different sections of the code that I um, put up there. The whole program is there, and we'll, we'll touch on it lightly when we get down to that point. But the point is, is that, and I didn't count it, 50, 60 lines of code at most, and that's all it takes to do what we do in the growler. And fundamentally, what, it, what the growler does is it reads the forward voltage, analog voltage, it reads the reverse voltage of, the, of, of a test signal coming into it, it determines, it does some computations to determine what the SWR numeric value is. And then with that value, it compares it to ranges. Certain ranges are, um, let's just say there's maybe four or five ranges. And uh, if, the, if the voltage, if the result of that SWR computation is, with the, is at the lowest range, we say that's a good match. And we light an LED appropriately and we, we turn, the, uh, we generate a tone we generate a tone with the pickaxe to indicate that that's a, a good match. And it's a low tone. Low tone is kind of a growl. I won't attempt to make a sound, but it kind of goes like that. If you can consider that in a form of a digital form, a, a digital waveform, a really harsh uh, waveform, a low tone is a low SWR. If the SWR is a little bit higher, and it falls into that second category of, or second grouping of voltages, it, the SWR is a little bit higher than that. And we output a, a higher tone. And guess what? If it's higher than that, it may be like in the three, it's in the three, three to one category or three to one range. It's a higher tone that's generated. And if it's way high off the scale, a real high beeping tone is delivered. And then lastly, with that circuit, as well as in a software, you can see that we light LEDs to indicate the SWR range. Whether it's one, uh, Joe can correct me when it comes time, but it's uh, like a one-to-one, -one or uh, if it's uh, less than two-to-one, or if it's less than three-to-one, or if it's less than five-to-one. So we light an LED <clears throat> that indicates uh, the general range of the SWR. So with the pickaxe, we're able to do all of that. We're able to input the voltages, do the computations, generate a tone, turn on LEDs, do some blinking. We send, oh, and also I forgot to mention, we're able to deliver the value of the SWR in Morse code. 
were able to deliver the value of the Morse code uh, of the SWR in Morse code. So with that same beeper that that we generate a tone, if we have a three to one SWR, we're going to en enter uh, um, three point zero for, as an example. It would come up da 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 da. So 3.0 would be enunciated over the uh, um, over the uh, the little piezo sounding device on that little board. So we're able to do all of those functions with that simple little chip. And by the way, price-wise, the chip, <clears throat> this chip, oh gosh, I think was maybe around eight dollars. Um, a smaller chip that we used on the rookie. Remember, uh, I mentioned that we used an 8-pin device instead of this 14-pin device. That 8-pin device is about $4. So and the, the prices can range anywhere between 4 and 8 or $10. Um, well, great source for the chips, by the way, is Peter Anderson. You'll see a link for him down at the bottom of the screen. Peter is a great guy. In fact, uh, he helped us out of a jam. He got some chips to us, hand-delivered them to me. Um, in time for the NJQRP meeting back uh, a year ago. Um, and as it turns out, he lives in the same town, and I didn't even know it. So all these years, uh, uh, P.H. Anderson, Fanderson is his website, as you'll see. And he's a supplier of some hobbyist controllers and hobbyist development kits. And you would do well to kind of visit there. He, he's, a, he's a cool guy. Okay, so... The pickaxe is our focus here. Why the pickaxe? Why not uh, a pick? And I think the, the basic reason is that for quick, well, in, in a nutshell, a pick is a microcontroller with nothing inside, essentially nothing inside but the computation engine. You have to develop the software in on the PC and compile it or assemble it and then download its native code into the PIC um, and, uh, in order to see it work. And it's a little bit more complicated to, to do that. There are, there are C language or higher level languages for the PIC, but generally most of us program in, in assembly language or maybe C and then compile to assembly language and then download it to the chip in its machine code. And uh, it's an efficient way to do it, very efficient from memory size and speed. But picks are kind of uh, complex if you've never really encountered them before or, or programmed with them before. On the other hand, we have the, the pickaxe. And some of you have probably also heard about the basic stamp. Now, I also think very highly of the basic stamp. Uh, but the basic stamp is expensive. It's like $49 uh, for the basic stamp. It's like a 24-pin dip, dual inline, a dip package that fits into a you know, socket on your circuit board. And uh, it contains a lot of uh, extra functions, but it is uh, a lot more expensive and uh, it, hence it's more capable too. The pickaxe, on the other hand, is a simple little chip. And in fact, you know, if you, if you kind of a whispering on the side, the inside of the of the pickaxe is a pick, much as you might have expected from the name pickaxe. So the pickaxe is a pick. And as I said, um, 
the the picasum is kind of there's nothing uh, the bare pick is nothing in it besides the engine for running the its machine code the pickaxe however has built in an internal monitor they call it a monitor and it's um, an interpreter that takes the uh, the low level code that your basic program generates from your pc and it runs it right then and there as is uh, there's no there's no compilation that's required per se and <clears throat> it's able to take directly the high level language that uh, that basic offers we'll go down through some sample um, lines of code and just to, to show you how how straightforward and obvious uh, some of these things are but the pickaxe has the built-in monitor that <clears throat> that accepts the the uh, the basic code that you have on your pc through your usb port into the pickaxe you can you send it to it over two simple little lines and and there is a usb adapter that's available now and it's not too bad um, but it allows it to work on any kind of a system even today's monitor uh, um, even today's modern usb port only uh, pcs in the past just parenthetically here in the past it was an rs232 controller um, or an rs232 um, input method for convert uh, for transferring data into the pickaxe but nowadays they've got a, a usb adapter cable makes it a piece of cake now in addition to um the uh, uh the built-in monitor you can see the basic capabilities on the capabilities chart that's on the website the very first chart there it kind of goes there I'll, i'm not going to go through the entire chart but I'm going to uh, just hit some of the highlights because it is really so, um, um, uh, some of these things are really quite incredible. And Joe, just as an aside, I learned that there's this thing called multitasking or uh, what do they call it? Parallel threads. I forgot what they call it, but um, they, it supports the, the newer, the newer uh, chips that we're using. The 14M2 is able to support this parallel tasking. And I'll bet you that we can get around one of those problems that we were experiencing. The, um, with the pickaxe, um, there is a limited amount of memory. Um, it's not quite as efficient as storing and run, uh, storing memory and storing program data, and therefore you cannot have programs that you know. Uh, you know, a pickaxe cannot contain a program that's going to control the space shuttle during takeoff and landing. Just as an aside, it's going to be able to interpret some analog voltages, turn on some lights, be display data. Or in our case, read a couple of voltages, compute the SWR, generate some tones, turn on some LEDs, and do a Morse code conversion. That in itself is a lot. But nonetheless, there's still we have to cram our code into a relatively small amount of memory. As you see from the chart, and by the way, we're using a 14M2, which is the second column from the right. That All of the devices are listed there. Ours is the 14M2. The... Uh, Kind of the important uh, important one, or one of the important first ones, is to see that the uh, the pickaxe can work on anything from 1.8 volts up to 5.5 volts. Kind of nice because you can think of it. Uh, you can think of powering some of your projects with uh, um, a couple of three volt, uh, or a couple of 1.5 volt batteries in series. Um, a watch battery, three point uh, what a three uh, three volt watch battery as we do in some of our projects. 
and um, you can get by that way. Memory capacity in bytes is uh, 2048. Um, as I said, it sounds like a lot, but it goes by pretty quickly and you need to be efficient. Uh, parallel tasks is what I was mentioning before. The 14M2 can have eight parallel tasks. Of course, you're limited by the amount of memory that you have in there totally, so you can't go hog wild and, and uh, having a lot of different uh, things going on that's going to take up program memory space. But at least we can do things, essentially, as it says, in parallel. And that can be helpful if you're, for example, here's a parallel example, or an example for parallel tasks. Supposing that you're looking at a, uh, you've got a routine that's counting down at a certain rate, um, a counter routine, if you will. And every time it gets to zero, you reset it to its max value and you start over again. So, and at, when at the turn over to zero time, you can raise and lower a bit, one of the I.O. bits. So, in, in a simple sense, you could create a timer that has uh, a pulse going every one microsecond, as an example. And one microsecond pulse generator. So, while that is counting down, you could have another test that's looking for an input switch add an input switch and if the if the switch is pressed then maybe the, the counting stops or something uh, that's an example of parallel tasks um, 32 megahertz the latest devices here the 14m2 is among them that's the m series of uh, devices can go at 32 megahertz there's an, any computer any controller has to have a clock to make its internal digits digital circuitries work the faster that clock can go, the faster your instructions can be executed, and the more responsive your controller can be when reading the switches, uh, turning lights on and off. So in this case here, 32 megahertz is a pretty darn fast um, uh, reference frequency that it can use, and it's internal. You don't need a crystal. You don't need to have a, uh, um, uh, a crystal resonator which some of these have used, and you can use them if you want more accuracy, but in general, you don't need them. Variables in RAM are often used uh, by software programs to keep track of internal uh, states. Uh, the value of the analog voltages being read is often then put into RAM, volatile memory, and there's 512 bytes of, of memory there. So as you can see, so as you can see, a little bit down down the line here. I'm not going to go through all of these, but uh, some highlighted uh, uh, capabilities: I squared C support. There's keyboard support in our chip, and and we're going to Joe and I are going to be implement or exploiting that particular capability. <clears throat> Frankly, I don't know what RF radio support is. Um, RFN, oh RFI, I, I believe, or maybe so. Um, RFID like. So, um, internal temperature sensors, um, there's a lot of uh, capabilities that are highlighted here and you can read the, uh, you can read the capability in greater depth in some of those references that I mentioned at the end. Speaking of which, I wanted to mention just real quick, if you don't have it up already, go to the, uh, uh, what did I call it, Gob Gobzo Gobs O pickaxe links. That's reference number six. That is a way cool. Um, I got to make sure I don't lose focus from my uh, TeamSpeak thing. But that is a, a way cool uh, summary, 
Oh, there's got to be. Let's say 20 times 5. There's got to be over 100 links on one page here that show examples, source, uh, sample source, different kinds of applications. I'm just going to read off some of them that are absolutely outstanding. These are different <clears throat> examples of uh, how to use your pickaxe for ham radio types of, uh, of applications. Um, a GPS meter, a UV um, a meter, a sound impact center, tilt sensor, vibration sensor, barometric pressure sensor, um, SD card reader, um, an XB um, type of connector, a magnetic compass, um, something that's called an SPO30, must be a, maybe a speaker, speech to text, text to speech type of thing. Um, I just saw, I'm not going to read through them all, but I saw another example that I'm going to look into personally, a little doodah from uh, um, oh, sure. Vinculum. Vinculum. Actually, yeah, it's, it's called Vinculum, and we use that USB converter chip on the new PSK uh, modem, and it's uh, a nice way to, a nice and easy way to get uh, USB support, you know, to a stick. Well, they have an ability to connect a in software that uh, takes one of these 14M um, two chips and connects it to this small little device. It's like maybe $14 and it um, allows you to play MP3 files. So you can build yourself. You've got to believe this. You, you can't, I mean, this is unbelievable. <clears throat> you can build yourself an MP3 reader, um, an MP3 player. So you can play your MP3 songs with this particular controller. Admittedly, you're going to have to have your files on a little SD card or some kind of a file system. There's another project for that, but it'll take the data out of that uh, file store. It'll take that file, send it over using a special command to the uh, uh, to this Vinculum device, and it will play your MP3 uh, uh, files. Very cool. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back to let's get back to the uh, the basics, Dan. Okay, I had to bring it up. Now, um, in fact, I'm going to turn it over right now to Joe. Um, and Joe, if you could kind of go through the uh, the circuit for the growler right there on the page. Of course, focus on the uh, the voltages that are being generated to the pickaxe, the computation, and uh, uh, the generation of the LEDs. Note, uh, everybody, please note that the overall description of the growler circuit, the growler, actually the growler application, the software algorithm is in green in the, in the source code listing on that page. So Joe, why don't you take it away? Okay, thank you, George. Yeah, I'm uh, wandering through microprocessor land. I put a note on the, uh, uh, on the text box saying that uh, at the time we designed the, uh, the Growler, the 14M2 had been announced, but uh, was not yet available. Uh, now it is available. So uh, there are newer versions, more, more improved versions, generally back, backwardly compatible available all the time for that, the pickaxe chips. Okay, the, uh, 
the Greller, if uh, if you can see the schematic diagram on the web page, uh, if not, I'll try to describe it in, in some general terms. It basically, as George mentioned, has an SWR sensor uh, and some outputs from the SWR sensor to go to the uh, pickaxe chip. Um, the SWR sensor is a very simple circuit. It's a resistive reflectometer um, consisting of several, it's a Wheatstone bridge basically with the uh, uh, with carbon or carbon film resistors uh, that comprise a bridge, a balanced bridge that is balanced at 50 ohms. Now the unknown arm of the bridge is the antenna. So we feed RF in to the bridge. Um, we go to the left hand side of the bridge which is two resistors of equal value. Um, at the same time, it goes to the right-hand side of the bridge. The top arm of the right-hand side of the bridge is 100 ohms. Um, and then the uh, unknown leg of the bridge is the antenna. So, as I say, when it's balanced, when the, uh, the antenna impedance is exactly 50 ohms resistant, it's a balanced bridge. We have diode detectors that look in the bridge um, one looks at the left-hand side of the bridge in the center, detects the RF voltage and converts it to DC. This is the forward sample, much as you're used to in uh, regular SWR bridges using uh, uh, transmission lines or um, toroidal inductors, toroidal transformers. That's the forward sample. Uh, across the bridge, between the, the two legs, the left-hand and right-hand, leg is the uh, reverse sample. Uh, as things go, this is a very, very fortuitous thing because it's an extremely simple circuit. All you need are resistors and a couple uh, diode detectors and you can, you can get uh, forward and reverse samples, same as with any other SWR bridge, and use them to uh, calculate the, uh, uh, the SWR. We have two voltages. We have a uh, forward voltage and a reverse voltage that go through some resistor networks and some uh, DC smoothing caps into the chip. And we have numbers in the, uh, in the description of the code. I won't go through them, but what we do is look at the ratio of the forward and reverse voltages that come out of this bridge and calculate SWR based on them. So it's a very simple calculation. Um, that can be done simply as ratios. So what this means is uh, no matter what power you put in there between 1 and about 5 watts, since you're looking at ratios, ratios of voltages, uh, you don't have to have any manual tweaking to, uh, to adjust for the power level you've got. Since the thing looks at ratios inherently, uh, it automatically tracks whatever power level you're running very handily. The, uh, the two DC voltages into the TechX chip go to analog uh, to digital converters, where the uh, the DC voltages are converted to uh, analog voltages. Actually, numbers in the range of uh, um, one to ten twenty four, and then we do the appropriate arithmetic inside there using the uh, the software that uh, then determine the uh, the SWR. Uh, then it's output. Um, they, we, we have outputs based on the SWR. There are four LEDs that are set to light 
Um, the the uh, lowest SWR, the, the uh, green LED comes on, and the SWR is one and a half to one or less. Uh, if the SWR is a tad higher, um, we have a yellow LED that comes on. If the SWR is between one and one and a half and two to one, we have a an orange LED that comes on. If the uh, SWR is between two to one and three to one. And then a red one that uh, comes on if the SWR is uh, above uh, 3 to 1. And finally, if the SWR is out of range, if it's way high, if it's 5 to 1, we blink all the LEDs. So we blink the red LED to tell you. So what we have there is a bar graph, kind of like a, a bar graph meter, that tells you uh, where in the range of SWR the uh, uh, this meter is actually reading, uh, as opposed to just just having a relative indication. You get exactly the number. At the same time, for each of those levels, there's a corresponding pitch tone that comes out of the uh, speaker connected to the uh, to the pickaxe chip. Um, low for uh, one and a half to one, a little higher between one and a half to two, higher than that for um, two and three, higher than that between three and five, and then about five to one, it's a real high pitch that beeps fast to tell you that uh, the thing's out of the, out of range. It's a high, high SWR. Uh, and then there's another feature built in, as George mentioned, when you unkey the RF, when the transmitter is unkeyed, uh, that's sensed by the uh, pickaxe, and it enunciates uh, through the speaker Morse code for the exact SWR reading, so that you know what exactly what it was. Um, so it's it's a, a sight and sound device. Sight is nice when you're looking at it, but let's say you're you're tweaking an antenna tuner or something, and you're, you're kind of looking at the tuner. It's nice to be able to have a, a variable pitch to go along with it, so that you don't have to be uh, looking at the LEDs. You get a, a dual indication. Uh, one of the other features I neglected to mention of using the, uh, the resistive reflectometer is that, uh, in this case, uh, we limit having resistors in there, limits the, uh, the maximum SWR that the rig sees to no more than 4 to 1. Some of the simple QRP rigs, including the ATS series, if you have an SWR from your antenna, uh, too high, you can zap the finals in the rig. Uh, so you have to take some pains. So when you're tuning an antenna tuner um, and you inadvertently go above, uh, let's say, 5 to 1, you might zap the rig because yes, in most SWR bridges, the, uh, the same SWR will be reflected back to the, uh, to the rig. Whereas with a resistive bridge uh, like this one, uh, it limits it. It limits what the rig sees to no more than four to one, uh, no matter what the actual antenna SWR is. That's another benefit of having this. Um, and as George mentioned, the uh, software handles all this very automatic. I mean, you know, it, it takes uh, 20 minutes, half an hour to describe all this, but uh, in five minutes sitting down with the darn thing, it's almost intuitive the way it works. Very, very handy. Uh, and uh, very functional. I, I happen to like the little bit. 
Um, we're running short on time, George. Why don't you uh, go through a quick run through the software, and uh, we're going to have to uh, wrap this up before tomorrow. Yeah, okay, Joe. Um, I think I almost got this thing ready. I had to uh, uh, get in the growler ready for presentation, uh, for demonstration. And I'm not sure it'll come through the speaker, but uh, in just a moment I'll give that a try. Now, I wasn't paying attention too much. Did you say that we're ready to do the software, at least a, a light walkthrough? Yeah, I was suggesting we might want to do a uh, a quick walkthrough because we're uh, running up against it time-wise. Yeah, that's good. Okay, um, I assume you went through the functional circuit, um, the hardware circuit, Joe. So, um, what um, if if you have your web screen, if you have your web page up with uh, our notes on it, and you would see the section that um, is at the bottom with the different uh, section one, section two, section three, section four. There's four sections, and as I said, if you throw away the green comments, what we're looking at is maybe 30 to 40 lines of code, I think. The program uh, starts at the top, and just about as Joe had explained, <clears throat> the uh, the algorithm and the, the basic way that the decisions are made in the, in the software are described in the header file. And this is a typical thing that's done in software, by the way. A, a well-designed software program at least includes the section like this that describes... Uh, um, what, what the software does, such that when you can look back at it in years to come, you can find out what it was supposed to do. And that's only, of course, if you kept it uh, current with whatever changes that you made along the way. But the actual software itself starts down, starts down at section two, the declarations. And that's where we put our variables. <clears throat> you, you heard me mention about variables going into RAM space or volatile memory. And the computer software here needs to have these variables as internal uh, keepers of the state, um, keeping track of times through a loop, the analog voltages that are read, the intermediate computations. And we're able to give them very common <clears throat> common names, such as VFN, VF, um, VRN, so the res respectively the, vol the forward voltage analog input and the reverse voltage analog input. Um, and those are actually pins, <clears throat> pin names. So we have to assign, uh, you tell your software where to look on the chip to get the, the input voltage pin and where to look on the chip to, um, to get other types of uh, uh, outputs if you happen to be using them. The symbols VF and VR and CNT and row and Morse and element, those all sound familiar and if you kind of look at and try to understand the, the software down below, which is somewhat human-readable, you would see that um, these are uh, internal registers. We assign them to variable, uh, we assign them to register names, B0, B1, B2, and W3. Those are all, <clears throat> those are all internal registers that hold the intermediate values. But instead of referring to them as B0 and if the third bit in W3 is set, then you want to go to do something else. Kind of a hard thing to understand. But if you say, if row is equal to 33, 
then do something. That's a much more actual, uh, much more easily understood. So that's the reason for using variables in general. And there's where we assign the variables to either the pins on the chip or the internal RAM in the chip. Section uh, section three is the main program. And actual, it contains those two blocks that I have outlined there. And uh, you can almost read it down. What I'm going to do is just kind of read down the functions as, uh, and you will see, hopefully, that um, it is somewhat understandable once you understand, once you uh, get a feel for what the program is trying to do and when we're using the variables that are appropriately named. So what we're going to do when we start up, the very first thing under start, and it's all sequential, um, we're going to <clears throat> set uh, Morse, the Morse variable to 10. That's going to say, that's a bit pattern that says da 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 and um, when we turn the device on, that's what happens. Da 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 means waiting. And we go to a subroutine that says send Morse. It sends that number. It sends that value. Da 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 da. Then we go into loop one. Read a, we read the VF in voltage from the VF in pin into the VF variable. Then we compare it. If VF, if forward is less than 20, in other words, if we don't have very much RF in there at all, the very first thing we do is we send a Morse. Um, um, what we do is, in a nutshell, is we just display or sound a tick, tick, tick sound says that we're waiting for our F input. So in that little loop, in the if to the first end if, what we're doing is waiting for RF input. If we don't get any RF input, it goes tick, 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 tick. And I'm going to put the microphone up to the uh, piezo. I'm not sure that you will hear it, but here it is. Um, if you heard it, great. If you didn't, well... Sounds good, George. Okay. Well, there was a tick, tick, tick there. Now, and, um, if you, but if, as soon as we do get RF voltage, we break out of that loop, and we go down to um, um, read ADC again. But this time we're reading the analog voltage for VR. Recall that we got we already read in VF. Now we're reading VR on the two portions of the circuit uh, that input the voltages to the pickaxe. And then we compute rho, our HO. Rho is equal to 100 times the value of VR and then divided by VF. So it actually does, the computer, the, the pickaxe, does that computation. And it ends up with a floating point number internally. Uh, and uh, then we then we start um, interpreting or deciding if rho we're using rho as the main indicator for the display um, and and the tone generation. If rho is less than twenty, that means we've got a really good SWR. In this case here, it's less than five point one uh, one point five um, an SWR of one point five or less. In that case. We set the sound equal to 5, which is a really low, it's a low number. Um, and that sound 5, parenthesis 20, comma 10, <clears throat> that says that we want to output a low sound of uh, uh, 20, um, it's like 20 milliseconds at 10, at 10 millisecond intervals. And uh, you, you can look up the syntax if you're interested in that, but it outputs a low tone. And... But if it's not less than 20, then the next thing we check is row greater than 20 and less than 34. 
So here's where we see if it's between um, two numbers that are uh, that represent uh, 2.1 of SWR down to the 1.5. So that's those two range. If it is, then we out, we sound um, the sounder 70 comma 10, which means it's a little bit higher than before. Similarly, we come down and we see if row if <clears throat> if row is uh, not of the previous one, then we uh, we check to see if row is greater than 34 but less than 50. If it is, we sound uh, at a higher tone yet of 80. And if it's not that, we see if row is greater than 50 and less than 67. And if it is, we output a higher tone yet of 100. And by now it's going up to like that. Now here's uh, here, here's the uh, the real joy here. If it checks row and, and if it computes row greater than 67, that says that SWR is greater than 5.1 and you got a big problem. So what we do is we output the high pitch tone again of uh, a little bit higher than before. It's a pitch a tone of 110 at that sound command. And then we, um, we uh, fast blink the LEDs. We, the, the statements that show let pins equal this and let pins equal that, those are individual bit settings for the LEDs that we've got. And we blink the LEDs to go higher or lower. In, uh, in previous examples, when the SWR was in one range or another, as Joe said, we would light that LED. So if the LED, if the if row, for example, just in the above example, if row is greater than 50 and less than 67, we would actually light the LED that um, um, would be, in this case here, the red LED. The red LED would be turned on and the orange, yellow, green would be turned off. And that's how we indicate uh, visually the SWR result, the computation result. Then lastly, what we do is once we've determined if row is in any of one of those ranges and we've lighted the LEDs appropriately, we're generating a sound as a low, medium, high, or higher, or highest level, then we actually do the SWR. So we compute the SWR um, by, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we send the, S, we send the uh, SWR reading, uh, which happens to be in row, for shorthand's sake, we use row again, uh, sufficient. We send it down to the send Morse routine, which means we take the value of row, whatever it was, let's say it was 67, like I said before, uh, 5.1, uh, 5 to 1 SWR. It would send it down to the send Morse driver down below, and some routine, some simple one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight commands. Eight commands were able to take that value in row and generate the Morse code equivalent of that number. And it's uh, it, was, it was kind of fun getting all of that working. But that was that's the the main function. We input the value. We we, we input two analog voltages. We compute uh, uh, row, which which is in our case it's an approximation of SWR. It uh, then lights determines where row is in one of five ranges and in each of those range calculations if it detects it being in that range it lights an appropriate led it sounds the piezo uh, at the appropriate level and then the last thing it does is that, that it sends the uh, the value in morse code let me see if i can get this to work if i hold this down 
and uh, oh dear, I'm going to have to put this down on the table next to the piezo, and then I'm going to send RF. So stand by. So hopefully you heard um, a slight growl, a low growl, which I have a resistors on the output does a dummy load, and that's uh, um, a 50 ohm dummy load. So you'll hear a, a low growl, and then uh, let me hear what we say. So that was a 1.0 um, reading, a 1.0 to 1 SWR is pretty good. Let me change the pot. And I'll change it, and I'll apply RF again. So uh, you heard me move the pot, um, the results of, you heard me move the results of the pot up a little bit. We got a uh, SWR of 2 to 1, as you heard in Morse code. And then also the growling increased in pitch, which means it was a higher SWR. So obviously for using the, the bridge in... Um, in hard to see areas, um, you we have the sound ability, the sound output capability, and light uh, helps that out. And and uh, Joe probably mentioned that it's a it's a built-in dummy load in itself. So if you apply power, uh, you're not going to be uh, without without an antenna on it. You're not going to be killing the uh, the transceiver. But Joe, that that's that's about the software, real quick as I could, and hopefully the sound was able to come through with the demonstration. Yeah, it sounded pretty good, George. Uh, it's a shame, uh, given a little more time, we could have done a, a better demo. Um, as I recall, you had a, um, a YouTube video, didn't you, demonstrating the operation, um, posted uh, sometime back. Is that still available? I'll be darned. I've forgotten all about that. Uh, chances are it is still, and what I'll do right after this uh, session is I will uh, go look it up and put it on the web page. Yeah, one proviso I tell you with that. Um, there are a couple errors uh, in the uh, uh, <laughs> in the um, in the video because the thing was in a state of uh, development as we went through there. So there are a couple flubs, but it generally shows the operation. Uh, Nick, KF5ADE, I believe you uh, wanted to get my attention. Yes, I did. I did. Well, that was uh, George. Uh, I hope you don't mind uh, me doing this, but I've been trying to patiently waiting to see if I could get the uh, package. Uh, could you tell me real quickly if the package has been sent? Otherwise, it's lost in the mail. Uh, or if you never received my uh, inquiry for the uh, for the 90908 and the uh, DS DDS uh, module. Over. Yeah, Nick. We'll talk about it after the session. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Okay, I think we're going to have to um, wrap this up fairly quickly. Didn't get everything done we wanted to. Um, George, do you want to uh, say anything more about availability of the uh, the kit to the um, the folks on the uh, session here? Yeah, okay, Joe. Um, as I said, we've got the circuit boards on order, and um, we've got your uh, your call sign as uh, evidence so to speak, for, for having attended here tonight. So each of you will have a chance to purchase this at uh, uh, the Growler at, at cost. And what is the what was the cost, Joe? I've forgotten. Do you recall? 
I believe it was in the area of $25, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, or you can build the circuit yourself. I mean, all the components are there, the software's there, and uh, what a great way to kind of use the, the techniques and skills that we were talking about here today. So um, I think that's, uh, that's a possibility. And I'll announce, it's going to take at least a, a week to get stuff together. So if you wanted to check in next week, um, we'll have the details for sure for how to order it. And you can, uh, you can order it if you wish. So that, that's about that. And um, if anybody has any questions about the circuits, of course, or the software, feel free to contact Joe or, or me. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll go into it as much as we need to. Okay, thank you, George. Yeah, um, unfortunately, the uh, topic tended to expand past what we desired time-wise. There's so many neat things to do, you just want to get all this this info out there. So I uh, I hope uh, everyone appreciated tonight. What we uh, what we tried to do was to describe a uh, relatively simple um, gadget, an SWR meter that has some unique functions to it uh, using a microprocessor. Uh, and the, the reason for doing this was to uh, was to um, provide some info on how you can use a microprocessor to do some ham radio sort of neat things. Um, the relatively the pickaxe itself is relatively simple and uh, easy to learn and you can do some really neat things with it. Hold on a sec Nick, I'm trying to wrap up here. Um, you do some really neat things with it uh, and as George mentioned we'll have a, a info available uh, probably by next week on uh, availability of the, the kit and uh, also as he mentioned uh, we'd be glad to get together with you sometime offline send us an email and uh, answer any questions we can about uh, about the growler or uh, about microprocessors in general or just about anything besides uh, religion uh, sex or politics uh, although if you catch us in the bar uh, sometime might be willing to discuss them uh, thank you all for uh, attending tonight, and um, sorry uh, things ran a bit late. Um, we'll try to avail have available little wrap-up time, little question-answer time next week, but uh, uh, we'll handle Nick, and then uh, we're going to open it for any questions people might uh, want to ask briefly tonight. Go ahead, Nick. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. Uh... I would just go ahead and uh, sit back and relax and uh, when, let, let the questions flow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm no rush. Yeah, there are those who, uh, who want, to, uh, want to get it over. Okay, anyone have any, uh, any questions we can, uh, we can provide for the material tonight? Uh, please uh, go ahead. Uh, George and Joe, uh, excellent presentation. I was wondering how you generate the tones. Do you use a PWM to do that? Yeah, there's a function available in the uh, uh, in the pickaxe that lets you uh, uh, send a PWM tone out. Uh, that was something we didn't go into detail with, but that's a built-in function of the pickaxes. You, you provide to it a number, which uh, is in the range of I think it's 1 to 128, and a, uh, uh, which just defines the frequency and a, uh, a duration 
uh, in, I think it's 10 millisecond increments. So one of the numbers we had was a uh, 110 and a 10. 110 is something like uh, one, one and a half kilohertz. And the, uh, the 10 in the sound command is a duration of 100 milliseconds. So that's how that's accomplished. So I'm wondering then if the piezo that you use was uh, self-driving or if there was enough voltage on your IO out pin uh, to drive just a crystal. Yeah, it's actually uh, it's actually a little loudspeaker. It's a 32 ohm loudspeaker that uh, that we had, uh, and it, it is sufficient to drive it. Although uh, it's it's not going to drive you out of your ham shack, but uh, it's sufficient to be heard um, with a PW, PWM going right to it. A piezo would be a little more of a problem because they're resonant and they like to uh, like to handle tones up in the couple kilohertz region. The, um, the little loudspeaker we had will operate uh, well down into the audio ranges as well. Hey, Joe. Uh, thanks. Uh, la last thing, I was just wondering where I can uh, take a look at the schematic. We provided a link um, on the web. Well, <laughs> it's on the web page. Um, are you able to uh, see the text box at the bottom of the screen? Uh, I, I see a box that uh, notes when people are coming on and off the chat, but uh, that's all I see. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about. No. Um, I, I guess the client you're having doesn't doesn't show you that. The clients on the Mac and the PC have a text box at the bottom that uh, we can send text to. Um, I'll tell you what. If you if you go to uh, the uh, NJQRP page, www.njqrp.org, and do a search for Growler. Um, there will be uh, will be a link to the uh, the Growler info uh, on that page. Okay, thanks very much, and really enjoyed it, guys. No problem, George. You had something else? Yeah, just um, Sam, are you using a Windows client? Uh, I, uh, I'm not sure if you're asking me. I, I am using a Windows client. I just don't have a text box. Okay, good. Sorry. Yeah, Gary, I thought it was. Uh... So um, at the bottom, this is important, which is why I'm dwelling on it. At the bottom of, toward the bottom of your screen, you'll see two tabs. Uh, you'll see a, two tabs underneath that text box. Uh, you'll On the left-hand side, you'll probably see open HPSDR server. And on the right, the next one over, you'll see QRP homebrewing. Do you see those two? Um, I do indeed. I, I just clicked on uh, QRP homebrewing. Looks like um, maybe I do have it. Bingo. There you go. You got to make sure to click on the QRP homebrewing channel because that's the one we're in right now. Uh, thanks again, guys. Now, just curious, um, do you see all of the messages that have been posted thus far? Uh, now I do indeed, and I'm feeling smaller by the moment. <laughs> okay. The reason I didn't mean to make you feel smaller um only to i wasn't sure if it cached it up such that you know you it was always there and you just had to click on it or if it just clicked started if you if it displayed it when you start clicking when you click the tab so it's good news that it does it that way uh right and i i do see those links so yeah i'm gonna uh, prowl into this uh, it looks good thanks 
and since I have the mic here, just uh, Joe, I was able to find the YouTube uh, um, link, the YouTube video for the growler. So everybody, if you have the uh, if you have that text, you can actually see, click on the link and go to the YouTube demonstration of the growler. Um, and then you can actually hear it pretty well in there, much better than you heard over the, the microphone here. Hey, Joe? Yes. Uh, yeah, just so you know, I came in a bit late, and that's why I didn't see the link earlier, and that's when I asked the question, and you kindly went ahead and typed that in. The uh, when you if you come in late, your your text history only shows up when you log in to the uh, to the site. So if, like from my, myself, I came in at 17 after the hour, so I was a, a bit late uh, getting in where I wanted to, and that's why I didn't have the link. Thank you. Hey guys, Rick here. Okay, no problem. Yeah, uh, I, I should have picked up on it. I just sent. I believe, uh, I wish I could see it, I just sent the uh, the link to this week's uh, session in the text box. You should have seen that show up. And there is the uh, complete info on the growler there as well. Okay, any more questions? Not a question, but a comment. Uh, I've done a fair amount of studying on the pickaxe, and it's a great learning tool. But I wanted to say that you have, you guys, when you designed the growler, really did a very nice piece of design work. It's an excellent way of using things in a in in not the way you would think of right off the top, but by using the audio and the uh, LEDs, uh, really makes it uh, very intuitively obvious. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we try to do things differently. I have a, uh, a perspective there anyway. I have a, uh, a deaf, a, a blind friend. And, uh, you know, much of the ham gear he can't use. Um, he can't read meters. So I always try to think of uh, ways of making, uh, making enunciations uh, audible as well as visible. Well, I look forward to getting my kit. Very good. Uh, okay, any more questions? All right, thank you much for showing up. Uh, George, let me throw it back to you one more time and see if uh, you want to do some wrap-up. All right, Joe, thanks an awful lot. Um, I had fun this evening. I hope everybody else did too. And um, as always, if you've got some um, suggestions for improvement, um, some ideas that you'd like to talk about in future weeks, please let us know. What is, interests you will undoubtedly interest us. We're not overly too concerned with uh, going over the 9 o'clock limit because you have the ultimate control over your attention span. If you want to tune out, you can tune out whenever you wish. We just want to kind of stop the major discussion around 9-ish at the hour at the mark hour. and then ultimately then. handle questions much like we have now. <laughs> So, um, um, oh shucks, for next week, Joe and I have been kind of uh, thinking, let's see, what were we thinking, Joe? Um, you want to let the cat out of the bag now, or do you want to cook it a little bit? No, I think we can do it. Um, um, it's, it's really the predecessor to the growler. Go ahead, George. The predecessor to the growler. I love it. 
those of you who have been following some of our our kits and interests and gadgets in the uh, in the ham radio world know that uh, lighting as as uh, Rick indicated lighting the LED and and determining uh, developing simple circuits that are good enough for use in other words they don't have to be you know showing the 17th decimal point of an SWR reading to be of use to us and indeed in this case here if we can show the SWR being within four or five um, bands or groupings uh, quanta of uh, output you know it's a, a pretty good use well Joe came up with this uh, technique that really started things off way back when put NJQRP back uh, or could put the NJQRP club on the map back in uh, oh gosh it had to be like 1980 1996 1996 and uh, something called the rainbow tuner and over the years we produced the rainbow tuner couple of times and um, what we thought we would do would be to talk about the rainbow tuner and it uses some sort of similar techniques um, but uh, we're going to kind of bring that back to the surface and see if there's some interest in in it mainly because uh, we're talking about SWR here and we'd like a nice segue from one week to the next and another way to measure and display SWR in a simple circuit type of manner is using the technique that uh, Joe had developed back uh, uh, back at that point. Um, Joe, did you want to put any more on that? <laughs> well, no, I want to save that for next week. Basically, the thing was uh, um, looking for something simple and unique in the way of an SWR bridge, but also an integrated tuner and um, fitting the whole thing in an Altoids tin. Uh, and we'll tell you more about it next week. Yeah, so keep in mind our kind of our modus operandi here is to have some simple sample circuits of sorts. Maybe have a little bit of a vehicle for you to take advantage of if you'd like in order to build things up and use them and that illustrate the principles of operation and have some fun along the way. So uh, whether it's the growler today or Maybe the rookie in the future, or who knows? Maybe we'll even think about uh, making another small run of the of the rainbow tuner. And uh, a lot of people had fun with that in the past, and we could probably do it justice once again. So again, thanks an awful lot, everybody, for uh, the session tonight. I enjoyed uh, bending your ear a little bit. And back to you, Joe, to wrap it. Okay. Yeah, not much more to wrap up. Uh, good session, George. Thank you very much for uh, for. Uh, the value of your experience and um, I don't know those of you who may know George know that uh, he's an excellent software man um, I had taken a stab at some simple software for the pickaxe but uh, George took the uh, software I had and, and he filled the, uh, the darn memory of that pickaxe chip uh, with all sorts of additional functions I didn't think of and he did a, a very good job of uh, writing the code, polishing it and uh, one thing that's the hallmark of an excellent uh, uh, designer was to share things. He commented the code in the, uh, the Growler very, very well. Um, so any of you who, uh, who want to look at what a good program looks like, could well comment in program that uh, you can learn from. Uh, look at this Growler. Even if you're never going to program, 
you'll see that it was a good example. Uh, thank you all for uh, participating. We had fun tonight. I hope, uh, hope we've uh, interested you in uh, some of these techniques, at least uh, made you aware of what's, uh, what's around, what's available. And uh, we'll do that with some other topics in uh, future things. So we'll see you next, uh, next week, same time, 8 o'clock on uh, TeamSpeak here. And uh, 73 all. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers. Thank you.